This is a previously recorded LinkedIn and YouTube live stream. Links are in the description. But I feel like companies were holding back. Like they were sandbagging until like 2020 like hit. And then they're just like <laughs> unleashing the fury of like stuff. It's just really funny. Like Apple had their big update and stuff. Like it's just, I don't know. Right. It's like, right. <laughs> no, I totally, I totally see it that way. It's kind of like, you know, all the muscle is with the big players and the big players, a lot of them can be quite conservative because they're, they're judged way more um, heavily when, especially when you're, you're, you're run in many ways by, you know, this, the stakeholders, the, the shareholders, the, mm -hmm. this, this, like, you know, the, the, the more people are, are just, are influencing a company's choices and the management's choices, the, the, I think the more conservative and the less radical and disruptive and like, you know, just creative in many ways, like, you know, break some eggs. Um, cause there's so many cool emerging technologies that you can use, but they're being very careful in applying them. They're doing rigorous R and D and maybe excessive, you know? So we could have been way more ahead. Um, if, if, if it was the topsy turvy and startups were running the show. Gotcha. We do have a little bit of feedback potentially coming from your end. I'm not sure. Just kind of throw it out there as we kind of get going here. Let us know how the audio sound guys. Um, let us know in chat. Give us a thumbs up. Hit the emotes down the bottom. That's letting us know that you can hear us and you can see us. So I'm pretty sure we're good on both, but just want to make sure. Uh, a couple shout outs. Go ahead and post where you guys are coming from and get a couple shout outs where we get started officially here. Uh, Ed Brooks <clears throat> from the NYC, New York. What's going on, man? New York. What's going on, man? Uh, Mark. Um, what's going on from uh, Northeast UK, United Kingdom? It's always, it's always really cool to see where you guys are coming from because we've had we have people all over the world uh, in chat, and it's really cool to see that. So thanks for posting, you guys. Really appreciate that. All right, so we will go ahead and get started. Um, guest today is Amir Bozogzadeh. Well done. Right? Well done. I am, I am so <laughs> impressed by you, Chris. <laughs> I passed. It's, all, it's over, right? Yeah. Uh, so Amir is with uh, – as CEO and co-founder of Virtue Leap. Really interesting conversation that we're gonna be jumping into on a number of different levels. Um, but as usual, what I'd like to do is to give the guest the floor. So Amir, I'm gonna give you the floor for about five, seven minutes or so. Tell us about yourself, uh, whatever you'd like to share and we'll go from there. Sure, um, I think I'm really happy to be on this show first and foremost because uh, I am a, you know, I, I was a esports player when esports didn't really exist, you know, in the nineties, I was a hardcore, uh, uh, clan based, uh, gamer, you know, for games like, uh, strategy games, like total annihilation, um, uh, first person shooters, like, uh, tribes and, 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 um, unreal tournaments, counter strike, counter strike, of course, uh, was dear to my heart. And I stopped in 2002, um, simply because I, was perhaps rather a zealot and, and obsessive at a time where it didn't really pay off to be. Um, but it's always been kind of something close to what I've been tracking. The esports industry is something that I've actually covered on VentureBeat um, several times now. Um, so I'm really happy to be here amongst that this audience. Um, my my background is um, a mobile games publisher. And uh, I produced a mobile strategy game of my own. And then in recent years, I uh, pivoted into writing quite a bit uh, for tech blogs like TechCrunch and VentureBeat on the topic of 
virtual reality, augmented reality, as they intersect with other emerging technologies like AI, um, you know, big data coming into into play in so many aspects and, and changing the way and the possibilities of, of the kind of things that are going to impact society as a whole, but just a day to day life. But that's the stuff I would cover in my articles and and, uh, you know, side by side to that, I have been running my startup virtually, which is in the virtual reality space and particularly in the in the sector of, of you know, when, when you're when you're working in VR, um, sometimes the use case that you're working on as a startup is kind of a luxury to have. It's a nice to have, but it's not a critical use case. And so there's quite a, you know, you have to be very, very careful in the startup space in general, but you have to be really careful when you're in the, you know, an emerging technology startup like mine, because um, there isn't really a, uh, uh, an audience yet. Uh, so be very careful to find the right audience. And, and one of those critical use cases is the space of cognitive training and cognitive assessment. You know, you probably have heard, uh, you know, surely of, of Lumosity with 85 million members worldwide and competitors <laughs> like Peak and Elevate and Brain HQ. All of them have millions of users because it's just, you know, more and more as society kind of throughout the next decade gets more disrupted by automation and com competition and huge population sizes and less and less opportunity in those really amazing jobs. And, you know, you're going to need to be your best. You're going to need to find your flow states. You're going to have to figure out yourself and have self insights that much more to be able to, you know, reach your potential, whatever that is. And I think brain training has been uh, resonating with a lot of the general population from, from that point of view. And on the other hand, um, brain training has, uh, has been kind of a looming um, need for the aging population, which is, you know, living longer and longer and they want to extend their quality of life. And brain training has that potential, um, you know, the, they get the potential opportunity of being able to extend that quality of life or, or improve their cognitive function. But to date, um, apps like Lumosity and Peak and Elevate, they have not been able to prove that they can actually do that. And so virtual reality is, is serving as a critical use case because the neuroscience community is pretty much in solidarity um, with the idea that in order for brain training to actually work, an experience has to involve the body. It has to trigger the autonomic nervous system, the vestibular balance system, our proprioception, you know, our feeling of ourselves, our senses, <laughs> um, all have to be triggered into believing the experience is real in order for multiple cognitive systems to be engaged at the same time. Um, and that's VR, that the first digital format to offer such an embodied immersive digital experience is VR and to a certain extent augmented reality as well, very much so. So these are really exciting times for sectors like cognitive training because now we are, you know, getting getting prepared to run pilot studies and and research and 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 figure out and validate whether brain training and and, and cognitive enhancement does work from the point of view of 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 immersive games. And that's what our company has done. It's we've created a, a VR app called Enhance. Um, it's essentially uh, a library of uh, games, mini games that you would come into for 10, 15 minutes per day, max, play a few games that test your memory skills, your problem solving skills, your motor skills, your spatial orientation skills, and then 
get back to the real world, come back tomorrow or come back as frequently as you want. And it would be part of your daily routine, just as much as brushing your teeth or going to the gym for your physical body. This is the gym for the mind. Gotcha. Yeah. So talk a little bit about mental fitness because you see the term kind of being thrown around a little bit more, I would say over the last couple of years, uh, could you dive into a little bit more detail on that for those who may have not have heard of the term mental fitness? What does it mean? And then how are you guys addressing it virtually? On the one hand, you got like mental health and we're certainly not on that aspect of, of, of mm. you know, mental health it can be so many things as a definition, right. your, 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 your work-life balance, you know, how you see yourself, your self-representation, your, your psychology, you know, your, all those kind of things we're not really dealing with. We're very much um, oriented on the side of mental, mental fitness in the sense of cognitive fitness. So all of your various um, spider senses, like, you know, your, your ability, you know, I see every individual as a caricature. <clears throat> so for example, I am a caricature of word memory. I have pretty strong word memory and pretty strong um, speed and flexibility skills and being able to multitask. Um, whereas my spatial orientation is horrendous. Uh, my wife and I, we will maybe go uh, travel to uh, a city, maybe an old city with labyrinth kind of streets and so on. And I honestly don't know where I am. I have no, this, this true North idea. It's just, it's, I'm really bad when it comes to spatial um, awareness. Uh, I don't really understand my, my personal awareness in relative to um, other objects around me. I'm just bad at it. It's not that I'm horrible at it, but my wife, on the other hand, she's always knows how to backtrack her steps. It's almost like a, you know, she's genetically just designed to be really excellent at that aspect. So, oh, my mic is hitting my jacket. That's the feedback. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Um, so, um, we're all caricatures. And so um, mental fitness as, as a concept is the idea that if I am a um, caricature and my word memory is excellent, but my spatial orientation is really bad, can I play games or can I run through certain exercises to develop what I'm weak at? Can I, can I do certain games that have um, the, the intent of practicing those muscles that are weak in me? that I can be more and more wholesome in, in the areas of my way of interacting with the world, dealing with problems. Um, will that make me better at remembering my grocery list or, or doing my taxes or, or, or you know, people who don't feel athletically oriented, if they could develop their spatial orientation skills, will they start to appreciate athletic kind of um, exercises and so on? You know, it's, it's all about, we have a lot of prejudices, but those prejudices are based on our, on our strengths and our weaknesses. And is there exercises that we can, you know, f fill up those weaknesses and make them better. Yeah. So <clears throat> what are your thoughts on this? So jump into chat. Any questions you guys have, you know, we're going to answer throughout because obviously as usual, we're going to keep it as organic as possible. I think this is a fascinating topic uh, because there's so many levels you can go through on this and we're going to try to touch base on a few of those. Uh, so Sterling says gym for your mind. Yeah. So a gym for your mind, if you, if you look at it like that, I mean, what, you know, if you look at just to take a sport, uh, so as far as the traditional side, so for me, wrestling, um, you look at, you, you practice situations over and over again. You put your, as a coach, you put your team through those situations on an individual and a, just a team basis, um, you know, uh, whether it's a, a scoring situation um, to essentially like you take that situation, you're like, okay, you're going to have to do this 10 20, 30 times so that when you're in that same spot, 
in the competition, your body, you're not even, again, you don't even have time to think process and then do it, but you just literally have to do it. And the ones that have the better reaction time obviously are, are able to do better. So right. I guess, I guess put the two together, if you could, maybe on like on for like, cause you look at it from the athletic side, like how did, mm-hmm. how would this, how would this potentially help athletes, uh, traditional sports, but, but also esports and in reaction time. Cause we all know reaction time. If your reaction time gets better, you are a better athlete. Like mm-hmm. I think we all can agree with that. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I guess connect the dots on that because I, I find this really fascinating. You know, there's certain games that will be like, you know, categorized by memory. These are memory games. And then there's some games that are, are subcategorized as visual memory games versus auditory memory games, hearing a sequence and being able to remember it based on short-term iterations versus visual. You know, how do you compare? How do you score on those ways? You have to learn how you function because we're not born with a manual, you know? It's like Amir um, is born and here is his... Uh, you know his his um, his strengths and weaknesses, and 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 here's the, de- the the really granular definitions that you know he's he's kind of not as great at remembering auditory sequences than memory sequences, and he's really good at short term memory, but he can't actually um, hold on to it as long term memory as long. You know, and you mentioned, for example, sports conditioning. You have uh, essentially um, uh, the idea of learning something consciously. And then absorbing it into the body in a way that's unconscious and implicit memory that you can just simply um, automatically kind of respond to the world with. And that's where your excellence comes because it's become unconscious. But all these things are broken up into games, uh, not games, but exercises and, and muscles um, to use the you know, analogy of the gym for the mind. And so the idea is, you know, breaking down all of these different cognitive functions, it gets into a pretty granular level. I, I was just with my, um, I was meeting with my neuroscientist on my team and, uh, and uh, the game designer, because they have to always work together. Um, the game designer has to work with the, the neuroscientist and the neuroscientist has to design and make sure the game is, is, is essentially prioritized from the science point of view and making sure the data is always prioritized. But at the end of the day, it has to be made into a game that's enjoyable, not too enjoyable, we don't want to make the game the purpose, right? But um, each of these games are broken down into small little mini games, and each of the mini games have to test different parts of the types of your memory, visual, auditory, motor skill. Um, you know, all these different things are, are all put together. And so when you see our library of games, they have main categories and they have subcategories. You have, like, you know, uh, selective uh, concentration skills versus sustained concentration skills. Selective is when you have distractors and noise and you have to be able to, you know, throw out the noise and, and, and ignore them and, and sustain it with, you know, to a, a particular task. There's every sort of game that we create is a closed loop system so that it really is um, focusing and targeting a specific aspect of your cognitive function. And particularly from the point of view of what we you know, term as cognitive load, you know, your ability, what is your capacity to remember uh, 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 um, how much bucket, you know, you have this bucket of, of personal attention you can have right now. And you have this, you know, and you go into the world and you're able to use it um, in a game, you know, it's, it's very much isolated to make you really target certain functions um, specifically. And then we score them in a certain way. Uh, we call it, for example, we give an index score an enhanced index score an EIP. Um, 
for each game. And then after all the games, we put them all together as an aggregate score. It's like, you, you know, we, we try to create like an IQ of sorts. Um, but the IQ is based on your actual behavior. It's not a survey. It's not boring. It's actually slightly, slightly enjoyable. Well, hopefully really enjoyable, but not too enjoyable. We, we, we try to make games not too enjoyable because we don't want you to just be playing constantly just because you want to get your score higher and higher. It kind of defeats the purpose because if you custom yourself to a particular game in terms of its mechanics, you start to just become really, really good at that game, but it doesn't, it stops training you. It starts, it start, you just start adapting yourself to be a good gamer of that specific game. So it's really tricky. We have to create a huge library of games so that every day you come in and you play um, a session of a select number of games, you know, and, and you're not adapting yourself to them. What's the optimal time for a, a brain training session? So let me, let me I guess, rephrase sure. a little bit as far as, so obviously, uh, if you look over the last <clears throat> couple of decades, um, kind of on the on the physical sports side, you know that I, I think I think I think look I think the older school mentality is more is better. Like five hour, five hours a day every yeah. day, destroy yourself. And we obviously know through science that that's not <laughs> right. true. That's not true at mm. all. Um, and there has to be a balance. So when you go to the the brain training side, what's like a what's a, a nice optimal range? Like fifteen minutes, thirty minutes? Does it depend? Like, can you talk? Yeah. About that? So I used to work in the market research industry where we used to do quantitative surveys, you know, um, and I wrote an article about how uh, actually the, the, the amount of time before someone starts to have response fatigue, you know, where they stop actually caring and they're, they've lost their engagement to participate in the survey is seven minutes. Um, it's very true that seven minutes in terms of a paper and pen kind of exercise is the time where you really lose engagement. And unless you really have something in the line, like a college application or something really important, uh, you know, like an IQ test is 45 minutes and you really have to gruel through it, usually at, after seven minutes, you lose your creative juices and you're, you're losing your like real engagement in the experience. I think with games and, and, and the, our, our approach to these mini games is we want the full session to be maximum 10 minutes um, each game about three minutes. And we think because you're breaking the games up by these three minute differences, you're able to reset that seven minute kind of, uh, um, what is it? Um, standard, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how our approach is. It's not necessarily the, the, we could probably stretch it out. The, the main point is to make it an experience that isn't, um, burdensome or you know considered a, too much of a chore you have to balance it how much of a day can we ask someone to jump in um and put that ex exercise into their day just as you would do an ab workout we want you to just jump in um and you know the main thing about our experiences is that we want you to track your scores over time you know we want to give right. you uh insights about how you are you are progressing or not progressing. Each game is developed in a way that you plateau at a certain difficulty. And then when you come back to that same game, you start off where you left off. And the point isn't to net, you know, if you're level eight all the time, it's not about getting to level nine, like that's the main priority. Hopefully maybe something like that uh, happens, but it's just like me going to the gym. I don't try to um, exceed my, my weight training, um, you know, stats every time I go. I'm just maintenancing. I'm making sure I'm practicing all these muscles. When we learn uh, about, um, if we talk about the elderly um, a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> by 2030, the U.S., you're going to have more elderly. The, the elderly are going to outnumber children for the first time in history in just 10 years. 
um, in the US. They already do in certain places like where we're based, Portugal, they've already outnumbered children. Um, in Asia, they outnumber children in markets like Japan, in Finland, in Europe. Um, but in the US in 10 years, they're gonna outnumber uh, children. And every baby boomer is gonna be over 65 by 2030. And that's the most, you know, uh, well-to-do uh, section of, uh, you know, sector of the population where they're going to have um, the monetary clout to pay for the solutions that kind of allows them to extend their quality of life. But when you look at the the longevity curves of like what kind of things you can do to extend your quality of life, your health, and so on, your your cognitive health, um, you look at these curves and they always have. Um, a person in their youth in that model so that they say that the curve would be this if you started doing healthy habits like eating healthy going to the gym uh, or exercising in general you know aerobics or, or uh, whatever the type of exercise it is Mus muscular training for example has been proven a lot to, to have a real good benefit to cognitive uh, maintenance but it always has in those curves that the earlier you start the better habit the the better that curve stretches out into you know your elderly ages so the point is um, you know, how to make it accessible and enjoyable and effective, but also sweet and short. Um, um, and then someone who is 16 would still be able to do it and, and find it like as important as someone who is 65. But make brain training enjoyable, fun, um, and to the point where you want, you like you, it gives you the feeling that you want to keep coming back and keep doing it. It makes you feel, it, the, it makes you feel good potentially. Yeah, and yeah, I would I would say that because the 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 main thing about it is you're you know there's a lot of there's a lot of concern about privacy of data right now, right? And we're not that <clears throat> we're the kind of company where the data that we uh, collect is for you, and if you consent, we also put it to research, uh, particularly the research of 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 cognitive illnesses and so on. That's the primary like purpose of our, our company to provide you with the service that is your gym for the mind but also being able to use it for um, Alzheimer's research and so on, because we need baselines of all sorts of data. And that's really when you kind of go into the app, you select if you want to be opted into that or not, you know, it's, it's all up to you. But your point of it is that you enjoy it, but you're also collecting your data and your data helps you understand how your performance in all these different aspects of who, not who you are, but how you do what you do and how you perceive the world is a lot of that is re represented by all of these different measurements. You know, you look at your memory score over time, you look at your flexibility score over time, your task uh, switching and problem solving skills over time, you look at your motor skills and you practice all these elements and you see if there's a universal kind of amplification of, of how you perform. Ultimately, we all want the best for ourselves. Um, and, and this is the kind of, uh, I think, technology being used in, in its finest. Um, and it's kind of like the intersection of, of, of emerging technology along with neuroscience and education and, and healthcare all in, on, all in one bundle. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, let's do a quick uh, chat check. We got, we got a question that came in. This is, I like to know the answer to this. Uh, Ed Brooks asks, just curious, are you more left or right brain? And does your product identify this in a user? I, I don't like this guy. It's such a good question. Um, <clears throat> left brain people will typically, my assumption would, would, I'm personally, I'd love to be a right brain person. I'd love to talk about myself being that person, but I'm more of a left brain person, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you why. Uh, right brain people are, are, are much less 
wanting these answers and metrics, you know, they uh, um, are, are less about definitions. Um, they want to keep things like a feel. Like a feel. They want to keep things open. They want to keep the question open. You know, um, that's kind of a representation of, of how I see it. Um, people who want metrics and be able to do, you know, what their what their performance skills are in this aspect and whatever, uh, you know, get all the answers and, and 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 feel like they're in control of life. That's a left brain kind of, you know, person. And I think I probably lean very strongly over to there. But I do want a pathway to be more right brain oriented. I don't want to be um, defined by that. You know, I do feel like, again, we're caricatures, but we're not caricatures by choice. I didn't, I wasn't born with um, the choice that I was going to be someone who has strong word memory, but weak spatial orientation. I want to be more wholesome. I want to be more right brain. I want, if I am one way, I want to have a path to develop the other aspects of myself. And so if our app for example, is more leaning towards uh, developing left brain activities and so on, then that's something we have to address and, 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 and bring in like games that are more about abstractions and, and, and uh, art and, and, and music orientation. For example, um, verbal communication is very left brain oriented. So, you know, being able to mix up senses together you know, color code, um, you know, we have memory games where you have to basically match the, the word with the color and then it tries to trick you. And I think um, right brain people would, would right brain people. It's like, but uh, people who are more, you know, tending to that, that side of, of activities would probably um, enjoy it just as much, but that's something to learn. We're very, very early stage. We've just launched since uh, the beta version just launched as of um, last month. Um, even this month, some in some stores. So we have to learn a lot and see who our users are and 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 if we're how we're biased, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ed, thanks for the question, man. I appreciate it. And keep bringing these questions into chat, guys. We'll get to them. Um, so I did have a. <clears throat> I want to shift a little bit. I want to ask a question on how does all this potentially tie into esports and to esports players and how that how they train? Is there a path for brain training? in that space, in that world, uh, kind of, how do you see that potentially uh, meshing together, if at all? It completely does, man. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like, uh, it's like what brain training represents in terms of digital games that offer it. It's and, and what esports is in relation to this shift towards, um, you know, seeing digital representations of our performance as equal to our physical, you know, activity. It's exactly the same thing. It's like sports of the mind, you know? That's what esports is, you know? It's your digital representation and your and your digital engagement. Um, it, it's your your invisible self participating in this in this character that's artificial out there and you're 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 a hero performing, you know, feats um, um, in epic, uh, contests and matches. Well, you know, what is the gym for you? Uh, I, I couldn't imagine what is more fitting than what we are producing. You, you're not going to be able to go. I mean, for sure, going to the gym every day is going to definitely be a good thing for any esports player to do because it is definitely good for your cognitive health. What else is good for your cognitive health? A good diet, a proper diet, better have, you know, kale and, and spinach and avocados and you know salmon, right? You have to have yep. all those. Yep. That's another yep. food, physical exercise, fresh air. You better be getting some um, some uh, sunlight. You know, uh, mm -hmm. 
Um, but is there a place for technology in the sense of digital simulations like VR and having exercises in VR that allows you to um, train the different uh, cognitive faculties that all come together when you are playing um, a game where a split millisecond kind of uh, um, uh, cognition or implicit memory, um, just a little bit better, a little bit more edge, right? Isn't it? It's always about the marginal uh, competitive edge that you have against your competitor, right? And right. so if they're using brain training uh, technology and you're not, does that give them a marginal edge over you? It, do you see this conversation happening now? Is this more of a, you know, is this more of a kind of a thought process? Like, you know, oh, down the road, brain training will be more integrated into esports. It's not doing, it's not there now. Like, how do you, right. like, how do you see that? Like, what have your conversations sounded like? Uh, I would say in, in general, um, people are not early adopters for a lot of things, right? Sure. Um, yeah. Someone might be, taking a, a certain approved FDA approved supplement, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's always been people who take, you know, ginkgo or, or some kind of like, you know, Chinese herb or Japanese herb or, 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 or some kind of uh, concoction tonic, whatever. That's the, 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 the side of things of diet. And, and I have friends, for example, who are, who are big advocates of that. If you look into the U.S. and the Silicon Valley, there's a huge transhumanism movement of people who are, believe that they're going to merge with technology and, and get like uh, cyborg guys and stuff. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I shit you not, this yeah. is happening and people are yeah. big on this and there's a lot of money on that. Brain training is just uh, one of those aces in your sleeve that are developing slowly but surely and then suddenly right in your face and you might have been aware of it when it was early and not many people knew about it and you were benefiting the most or you wait until it's pervasive and everyone knows about it and you you're just a you're just um a slow poke if you haven't uh um, um jumped on the bandwagon so we're in that we're at the innovation or early. early adoption phase yeah, it's, it's, it, it's available and, and it's real and it's designed by neuroscientists uh, according to uh, cognitive tests that have been, you know, used and developed uh, uh, for, for decades. So, you know, that it's in virtual reality doesn't really mean much because it's not like we uh, or any of the people who do this create them out of thin air. They're based on very old uh, exercises. And the point about VR is that it offers it to you in a, in a, in a scalable way. You know, VR is being used for training in all sorts of sectors. And I guess our conversation might even get into the broader um, industry. But um, VR for training is a huge industry right now in terms of trending um, for B2B use cases for training doctors and surgeons and training um, uh, people for very dangerous uh, fields of work dealing with like, you know, oil rigs or, or you know, maintaining uh, power lines and so on. So, um, you can't do that kind of training in the real world as, as scalable as when you can uh, infuse it into a VR experience that gives you uh, very, very high quality educational experiences. And then you can add infinitive, um, repeat them or share them or distribute them. And that's really what VR is. It's like a simulacrum or imitation in the real world where you can create those high quality experiences and train people anywhere in the world, um, regardless of their budget, um, you know, it's not inaccessible. You don't, you, you can't 
get it only if you're an Ivy League school. Anybody can get it. The best, you know, if, if uh, so uh, Socrates was around and he did a VR simulation of his teachings and recorded it, then you can basically have an embodied experience with Socrates right now and, and you're not one of the lucky few. Um, that's what VR represents to me and that's what cognitive training in VR represents to me. It's giving you a personal cognitive trainer but an embodied experience where your whole physicality is triggered into believing the experience is real and therefore you can soak it in in a way that hopefully um, we will prove to be um, you know, conclusive in making you better or reaching out to your fuller potential. And you mentioned it earlier uh, briefly, but talk about some of these pilot projects that you that you kind of mentioned, like who you guys are working with, uh, and then talking about the human performance programs in specific companies, what that even looks like, and kind of a broad definition of, of you know what you guys are trying to do and kind of bridge those gaps. Yeah. So we uh, again we we launched pretty recently, and our first client is the American Association of Retired Persons. Um, obviously, because you know. Um, the, the group that stands to benefit the most are the elderly. Um, dementia is not a condition that we know can be treated. We don't know uh, to what, you know, we don't know very much about it. And I, and I, and I, I'm reluctant in saying too much about that aspect, except that we have to push forward in, in all sorts of pilot studies that allows us to get research from different avenues and learn more about it, get data. Um, so we're, we've, uh, we have ARP as the, as our first client, because that's our focus is to focus on, on the elderly population and start bringing brain training to them first and foremost, Esports players are, you know, definitely benefited. Um, mm -hmm. some e eager 20 year olds or 25 year olds joining the, you know, competition of the rat race, um, mm -hmm. will benefit from it. Um, teenagers with concentration problems with ADHD will benefit from it, right? But the elderly stand to benefit the most, and we're targeting um, the senior living community the most. Um, so ARP is our first client. Um, we're partnering with Deutsche Telekom in Europe uh, to, to um, you know, we're in Europe as well, so we're trying to distribute it in our region. Um, we're partnering with HTC Viveport. They're um, the second, pretty much second biggest uh um, VR manufacturer um, behind uh, Facebook and Oculus. Um, so we're working um, with these different kind of uh, partners. We're also putting together um, pilot studies with, um, first and foremost, we're working with the National Innovation Center for Aging in Newcastle um, in the UK. Um, we're trying to work with a couple of institutes in the US as well, but those haven't um, um, uh, matured into agreements as of yet. They probably will by the end of this month or next. Um, but we're in talks with the Pacific Brain Health Institute in California. We're in talks with um, the Center for Brain Health at the University of Texas. Um, and hopefully there will be an um, interesting project with them. But it's really early days. We have to start with um, basically uh, um, the gamified experience of, of, of fun research, which starts with tolerability tests, then feasibility tests, and all the way it goes down into randomized trials, um, which are incrementally more expensive and resource draining. Um, but but step by step, it gets more and more down the road of of testing um, our our technology on the general population, and then to niche uh, aspects of the population, like you know now elderly, now people with dementia, now people with this type of severe dementia. All those things have been done by step by step. Um, do it properly. And we're just going to begin our first pilot study as of uh, April. That's really, that's awesome. And it's like, like I also feel like kind of like 
it's a process, like you mentioned. You st- you start with one and it kind of builds on each other, and then you, again, something that's so innovative, something that's so early, is not going to be an instant unlock for a lot of situations. Of course, I mean, we right. can, there's a lot of different uh, conversation pieces on that. So it is a process of going through that. Um, and quite frankly, let's be honest, people seeing the value, you know, and it's mm. just like you're talking about the innovative and uh, early adoption phase um, and some of the, you know, some of the trials with that. So Knox Dobbins, what's going on, man, has a question. Um, I'm going to read the whole question there on chat. Thanks for posting this, man. Appreciate it. I'm curious what Amir thinks of Calm. They call themselves a mental fitness app, but it seems like they're taking almost an opposite approach. When it comes to gaming and esports, players are constantly on computers and devices. What makes you think more games and activities is the right approach compared to what Calm is doing for brain health? You know, it's it's a good question. You know, everyone's got their own approach and and and, and hypothesis of what will work. You know, I haven't. I'm not so familiar with this this company, but it's it's a good. You know, I'll definitely be looking at it, like a, looking at it afterwards in terms of the science they have. Do they have white papers? Do they have any any uh, peer reviewed studies? Um, these are the kind of things that you have to actually kind of see what works. Where a lot of us are in the game of helping each other, helping society with something that actually is validated. But is it validated? You know, Lumosity is really popular, even though like a bunch of years ago it was. Uh, fined by the FDA for misleading marketing claims, saying it could work to do this and this and this, but actually they don't have the science to back it. Their marketing says they did, and that's a boo-boo. And so they were fined about 50 million, and then that reduced it to, I think, 2 million. Um, but anyways, they were fined. They were slapped in, slapped for um, misleading marketing claims. Um, so you know, any um, provider of technology um, or, or exercises um, that claim to help you in a certain direction, you have to go back to, do they have peer reviewed, uh, peer reviewed, um, studies that prove or validate that their approach is the way to go. Our approach is more or less aligned with the neuroscience community. Um, it's in aligned with the hypothesis that comes down to, you know, we have a white paper we just published. You can find it on, um, our social media. Um, it's available there. Um, if anyone, um, uh, has any questions about it, but but the white paper itself was published last month and it has 76 peer-reviewed studies that point to why VR um, in this particular um, approach would be the way to um, provide the benefits. Um, but back to your question of, of minimal uh, approaches versus something like why put them back into a digital experience, that's a really fair point. Personally, I'm not actually a big VR guy, if you can believe it or not. I believe VR is only for very short and intense experiences. Um, I don't like the idea of people having a headset on for longer than 20 minutes. I actually recoil and I'm repulsed by that that idea. Personally, as my personal experience, I believe in VR as being able to um, give you an intense experience that actually like penetrates in through your your boundaries and borders and gives you an experience that hopefully um, is, is actually impactful and, and you learn from it. So our experiences are supposed to be maxed out by 10 minutes, you know, per day or per session. Um, calm or, or any minimal uh, approach to it, um, it, maybe they're trying to go at it from the point of view of, of meditative uh, uh, methodologies like, um, you know, br- breath work and, and, um, and visualization so that you can try to bring your um, cognitive state to what they call as alpha waves and so on and being more, you know, um, concentrating in that, in that more mellow kind of uh, state of being. 
Um, that's what I'm guessing they are. Um, we, for example, we have, we're the first VR app that has embedded um, auditory science into our experience. Um, we have used the methodology um, of phase locking so that when you're listening, you're gonna hear some music that has been actually designed um, based on validated scientific research that this music will allow you to kind of be in more of a flow state. It actually, not it's not based on brain entrainment um, or binaural beats, if anyone knows these terms, but it's actually based on a validated methodology of actually making you into a more focused state when you're in these experiences. So we do try to bring that meditative kind of uh, methodologies into our experiences. Um, but I'm a big believer that VR has a, a huge benefit because it triggers the whole body into believing the experience is important. For example, I was with my wife in Switzerland a couple of years ago at this conference, a VR conference we were invited to, and she came with me because she wanted to see it, um, the area and where we were. And we went into this you know, exhibition, had all these crazy, amazing experiences. And a lot of the VR experiences you have often have modified and custom hardware. For example, one was called Birdly, and it's a French company where you basically get into a simulator where you are a bird. You put your hands into the, you know, this, this custom hardware, and I suddenly um, get into the experience where I'm hovering or floating above New York City at a very high altitude. And guys, I'm, I have a phobia of heights. So <laughs> I remember, I don't know what happened. I lost, I lost, um, I lost, uh, my bearings and i remember patricia coming over to me and going and saying to me just breathe and i was like uh you know i, I wasn't listening to her but i could hear her i always yeah. figure out how to press the abort button because it triggered my body into believing the experience was real and my phobia was triggered and i could not breathe i was literally paralyzed vr does that vr makes it important vr gives us the urgency if it's developed right, it gives us the urgency and an experience to really matter. My problem, for example, for myself, and that obviously projects onto how I run my startup or, or approach my life, is I need to really fully believe this is important, this moment, this experience, this, this exercise, so that I fully put myself in there. And then it hopefully penetrates into me that this lesson will not just be a short-term thing that I forget in 10 minutes. Most of the things in life I think are, are developed for us in a way that it's kind of like lazily done or, or with half, half your commitment in there, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think VR gives us the opportunity for full commitment um, because you are shutting out the outside world, outside distractions. Um, and my only, my only reluctance for, for products that are minimally oriented is that they probably cater to our um, um, less committed selves. Or with a shorter term time frame in mind versus long term, yes. long term learning, uh, and yeah. to a point where you said it's more about more about the actual ten, you know, the actual thirty minutes in the that environment or, or on that app, and it's over. Like once you're out of the, off the app, it's over. Yeah, and, and, and away from it, there's not much. You're not as much you're able to take away from it because your full body and your full uh, capacity of your mind hadn't been. It was not involved in the exactly. process, right? Exactly. Okay. I, I, I don't want to take away from any other product sure. or sure. approaches, but I just, I have a real, I have a, you know, especially in now in modern days, we're just, you know, esports represents to me another, a new emerging field of where you can see excellence and excellence in like its true form from a point of view of, of, of real, like, 
you know, everything you saw in a Rocky Balboa movie, it comes into esports stories too, right? All those things. But um, a lot of us are more watered down in our approaches to things. And I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to only dedicate to myself, myself to routines that are watered down experiences. So if there are things that are slightly like moderately um, uh, um, invasive in, in how I approach it, then I, I'm, I'm, I think personally I would, I would even like stop using that app after a while. I need something that really shocks me into believing um, that it's having an effect and that it's enjoyable and that it does um, give me, um, um, it allows me to form a habit out of it. Um, I don't think something that would be more minimally um, in approach would probably cause that in me. You need something with a higher impact mm. to, to kind of, I mean, literally hit you in the face. Yeah. Cause, cause I, yeah, I think the same about you, Chris. I think I, th I pretty much think it, you would be the similar way, but maybe I'm wrong. But again, everyone, we can always have a, of a, a daily routine of everything or as much as what you want, whatever works for you, you try it. What works for you is what matters. It's not what other people say. Um, and hopefully there's companies like ours who are creating more variety of things that you can try and see if it works for you or, or if it doesn't work for you. All right. It's uh man, there's, there's so many, it's so cool. It's, there's so many layers to all of this. Uh, as far as what, what, one of the other things that's kind of popping up in my head is you, so on the business side, the startup side, as far as VR and AR, where that the startup space is at, I know it's kind of, it, it's obviously a shift, uh, but can you talk a little bit about that? Can you talk a little bit about, cause we've, we've mentioned a number of times, um, where we are currently as far as the technology that's there, um, but that we're not, we're nowhere near full blown AR VR. And I, can you yeah. kind of frame a little bit where we are now and then what it would potentially look like when it's full blown? Because I think there's um, a significant, maybe a misunderstanding where we're at um, and how much, I mean, no one knows exactly how much time that's going to take. But mm -hmm. can, you, can you shed some light on that if someone that's so involved? So, you know, when, when technologies like uh, VR and AR are, when you come across them in, in daily life, their full manifest, manifestation is, is dependent and hinges on other emerging technologies to also mature in parallel. And so the, the main emerging technology that needs to pop up and become pervasive is, is 5G mobility. So, you know, and there's a lot of uh, talk about 5G. There's a lot of investment on it by telecoms to be able to, um, you know, uh, to, to, to raise the bar in, in, in um, mobility by a an order of magnitude, which is what 5G is. What that represents for VR and AR is to be able to stream volumetric content. content. To, to, 5G represents the, the digital world where, you can forget words like download and forget words like install. In, in 10 years, please someone punch me in the face if this doesn't happen by the 10 years, but hopefully sooner, because it could happen sooner. It's all about investment. It's all about regulatory friction and bureaucracy and all those headaches. But um, by 10 years from now, we shouldn't have the word download and install. They should be in textbooks. Kids should laugh at you when they hear about the old archaic days when you had to wait for an experience to start. Experiences that are digital should be instantaneous. And, and the, the beginning of that is 5G. 
and the ability to be able to volumetrically stream experiences is is enabled by 5G as a concept. Not necessarily the early days of 5G connectivity, but but a little bit later, um, it surely should be. You know, provide. They're even uh, researching 6G already. You know, that's how researchers work. But 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 when 5G 5G has to become pervasive, and in parallel, that's fine because you know. In the last five years, you, if you haven't been paying attention to what's been happening in the VR and aerospace, there's been a lot of hardware iteration. I mean, the, the latest headset that's the, like the iPod of the VR um, industry is, is the Facebook's Oculus Quest. Uh, this is a standalone device, no wires. You know, what the hell? The, some of the devices have wires and cables. It's so retro. What the hell is that cable doing? Like tangling with my arm as I'm trying to beat the zombie. It's like so weird. So obviously we need to give some time for this rapid iteration to keep on going, get smaller and smaller and smaller, get those damn cables out of here, which will certainly happen in the next two years. You won't have any more headsets with cables. The cables are necessary, for example, because they hook into a, a VR grade, um, you know, high octane uh, laptop that allows your experience to be even higher fidelity. Um, but the standalones are quickly catching up. Uh, the GPUs are quickly catching up. But not quick enough for you know us to say in six months there's going to be a mainstream you know adoption of VR. But um, based on the pace that I've been witnessing in the last few years, um, it's it's good you know it's, it's it's pretty fair to say that it's it's picking up. Um, the headsets are getting more more sleek, smaller. Um, there's so many cool technologies. There are even bionic lenses that were announced just last week by a company I cannot remember right this second, but uh, where that would be able to um, visualize AR just by wearing a, uh, a you know freaking lens, you know. Mm. So so you, you have to let the hardware iteration do its thing. You have to be a little patient, but you have to also keep in mind that 5G is is inherently required in order to power a VR and AR universe. So it's not VR and AR's fault for being sluggish. In fact, it's great that they're iterating as they are, hardware-wise, content-wise. Developers don't even know how to create VR experiences. What do you do? Like there's cinematic VR creators, uh, sorry, VR filmmakers or whatever you call them now, who cannot be, uh, um, can, they, they, they can't be fascist when it comes to the, the audience's attention. Like the audience in a VR experience can turn away from the, where the action you want them to look at, right? What do you do when they're like ignoring you? Right, <laughs> running right. best practices. So, um, my answer to your question is: uh, everything is iterating fast across everything, and also we need um, other uh, technologies like five G to to um, also appear, um, which they will in the next few years. So you talk about you know the bionic lenses and AR, you know, full blown where it's you, you're truly immersed, right? Um, and, and we don't know how how long it's going to be with those bionic lenses and things like that. But it's this is real stuff. This isn't fantasy, random oh. stuff. That's, this is real. This is really happening. And you think about the ramifications of you know you put on those lenses and then the the AR uh, on top of the real world, and and and, and the the earliest earliest iteration it was like the you know one one millionth of what it would be is kind of like Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon Go and what happened and was it 2016, 2017? That was so funny. That was so crazy. What happened? It still with is, all that? We just don't pay attention and there's no more articles about it because they, you know, we got yeah. saturated. By the way, the company with the bionic lenses, I just wanted to put it out there. It's Mojo, Mojo Vision. Just so Mojo everyone Vision. knows. And they've raised a lot of money. Okay, we're talking like, you know, companies like this are like in the hundreds of millions and they're still in stealth more or less, you know. So 
Um, a lot of money is being put into this. It's going to be an exciting decade ahead. We just have to be a little patient. You and me, Chris, we, we, we missed the boat on the esports. Um, you know, uh, well, we didn't miss the boat, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit old where I, I was in esports when it wasn't, um, uh, it was only good in Korea. Um, right. yeah, but, that. but you know, we just have to be a little bit more patient. Um, and and it is coming it is happening if anyone asks me what to do in terms of like if you want to purchase a headset you only get the oculus quest you only get a standalone um okay. device and it's well worth it um uh, and the cost of ours obviously has gone down dramatically and it keep will it will it will keep yeah. on reducing by another i'm sure by the end of the year it'll be instead of 400 bucks it'll be 300 and then 250 you know uh, do right. not get a headset that is three DOF, which is um, three DOF is three degrees of um, of freedom, meaning you can only do positional tracking. A, a VR headset has to be six DOF, six degrees of freedom. It has to involve the body. So again, for our games, we only allow it to be accessible with with six DOF devices. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where, for example, if you're leaning, it responds to it. If you're moving, it means the content is moving as the your body is moving. You know, bad content, in my um, opinion, for VR is when the, it's, there's movement, but it's, your body's not moving. That's what causes nausea. If you hear about these complaints about nausea and VR and stuff, it's only because of bad content. Anything that causes movement, your body, you know, there's a reptilian side of your body and it's going like, what the hell is happening? How am I moving? I'm going to cause yeah, right. nausea for you. You know, <laughs> something's wrong. If you if you have six off devices, then you don't have that. Right. So we've got about we're about eight to ten minutes. So I mean, we have unpacked the wow. unpackable. We, Amir, you've unpacked the unpackable. So I appreciate wow. <laughs> I appreciate unpacking everything for us yeah. and walking us through this process. It's even hard just to put words to some of this stuff, you know. I mean, because we don't we don't know what's coming necessarily, right? We can only we can only judge and look at what's here. Um, but if you're not if you're not uh, explicitly going to conferences and looking at the technology and feeling it and touching it, you just, you don't know either. So yeah. it's, 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 you really kind of have to really seek it out. Um, and it's really cool to see your experience and live in this day to day uh, in the space, because you have a lot of very, you have a lot of farce and a lot of just random things that are said about VRAR space. So someone that's implicitly involved is something that um, I find really fascinating. So if you all have questions, which, Surely there's a, I mean, there's a, a lot of questions out of all that, right? If you have any mm -hmm. more questions, feel free to post that because we'll, we'll answer those uh, here at the end. But we, you know, we talk about esports and gaming and immersive experiences. We've also, you know, over the last few streams, we've talked about how gaming is social media. I mean, it's not going to stop. This progression's going to keep going. But you, you know, you talk about like the lenses, you, you're walking outside, you know, life is becoming gamified. I know that sounds cliche or something like that, but you, right. you, it, it, we're walking outside and there's going to be digital skins, digital real estate. Yeah. Like yeah. You know, I think you walk like the way my mind sees it is you walk outside as you see the physical real estate in front of you, but then there's digital real estate that's sitting on top of the physical right. real estate that you're looking at. Is, is that fair to, to kind of look at it like that? And I mean, that changes everything. Basically um, what you're describing just by you you just coming up with it right now is that actually has been termed already it's called the ar cloud and it's the idea that with 5g and augmented reality you will have a, a new um a new shift in in spatial computing 
where spatial computing is a term for VR and AR, you know, spatial computing. Um, but uh, the next layer is with, with 5G, you will be able to have seamless digital experiences on top of the physical world. For example, the AR cloud is described and defined as um, a digital copy of the real world, where if you have a, a AR bionic lens or your phone or your headset or your glasses or whatever you have that enables it, um, the objects around you are already mapped with a digital layer called the AR cloud. And that digital layer allows you to interact with the physical world and define it and interact with it and engage with it. So when you go to Disneyland, uh, Mickey Mouse, um, uh, appears before you, before you buy your ticket and you buy your ticket with Mickey Mouse and Mickey Mouse then walks with you throughout the entire, you know, um, the area and the rides and so on. When you want to go banking, the avatar of the bank, whatever avatar they have comes up and goes, Hey, let's do it. It'll be like you're interacting with services in the world based on, um, kind of a, um, much more personal and intimate, if you, if funny enough, you know, um, experience of interacting. You're not going to be typing to pay your taxes or 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 banking or 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 um, uh, messaging your mother or whatever. All these things will probably be seamless interactions. And then you got you got to go down to something a little bit more eerie, which is what Elon Musk and a lot of people are getting into, which is the computer, you know, brain computer interfaces, right? Um, mm -hmm. being able to, um, um, uh, execute certain tasks, um, without even verbal or, or tactile, uh, interactions, just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So that's all coming up. And it's just, it's just fascinating. It's just really cool to talk about that stuff. Uh, and then how it's, it, it's, it, it obviously is going to affect every industry. Um, you know, sometimes I think a couple times it comes up like with, with real estate and, um, and then also just. Just, I guess people, I guess like in sales and things like that, like I think the kind of the term is like the middle is going to get eaten, like it's going to disappear. Um, that That's kind of an interesting concept to think about because um, as, as someone that was in sales yeah, years ago, like kind of takes away the middle person in a, mm -hmm. in a transaction and things mm -hmm. like that, as you were kind of alluding to. So much um, disruption. So much disruption is coming our way. It's not just uh, – uh, um, you know, transportation or middle management, customer support, so many things are being disrupted. And that's why, you know, you have to come back down to, there's a lot of concepts in the US as well, promoted like universal basic income and so on. I don't want to get into that necessarily, but sure. people are going to have to work less. They're going to have to, more people who are doing certain types of jobs need to start to be shifted into the knowledge economy. They're going to have to, you know, society has to change because a lot of these technologies are not just designed to disrupt us. They're also designed to give us more time to enjoy and develop ourselves and, and, and have a more wholesome uh, work-life balance and all these things, you know, there's a lot of negativity and certainly I do believe the initial phases will be unpleasant, but, um, I think down the road, what, what's going to ultimately happen is a society that's structured more to our benefit. Um, where things are are are, are actually, hopefully, uh, I'm a, maybe I'm being too optimistic, but um, more pleasant and 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 more um, um, more open to us realizing our potentials. Well, hey guys, I appreciate all the we appreciate the questions. We appreciate jumping in. Um, this is a very <laughs> this is a very deep, dense. Yeah. Uh, I think I went through brain training myself through this whole process. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think this is technically a brain training session because uh, it, it challenges you. Like it, it, it again, like, kind of like what you said though. Like the experiences you guys are talking about on the platform is challenging yourself. 
And what actually one thing I wanted to mention, I wanted to touch base on earlier, but you were talking about how the the average range, the time frame of jumping into the like, kind of a, a VR brain training session is like seven minutes, mm-hmm. 10, 10 minutes. But like you're like you're boom, you're in. It's it's hard, it's challenging you, but it's that mm-hmm. short burst, bang, and then get out. I like I really like that. And the fact that you're saying like because I think sometimes people, I think it's like, all right, if you're a VR person, you want to go live in VR. There's yeah. this like mantra yeah. of all oh, the VR people, they want to live in another world. Well, we just had a VR person say seven minutes and I'm out. Like, yeah, you know, bit short, very, sweet, intense. Get to it and get back into the real world because the real world is always going to be the real world, right? I mean, oh shit, I think I just, so, I think yeah. I just plagiarized from uh, from Ready Player One that movie. Right. So it's just it's just something to think about. It's something that really hit me, you know, pretty hard. There, you're like, you know, seven minutes, ten minutes, you're in, you're out, but you get the burst, you get what you need, and you get out. And but I, th- I just think people in in general, like, oh well, they're talking about VR, they're talking about you know, immersing for twenty four seven, yeah, which is not. That's not the use, the end all be all use case in a universal statement. So that's just something that kind of came to mind there at the end. But I appreciate all the questions, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Amir, I appreciate you. Where where can people get in touch with you? Um, where can they connect with you? You can see that the sunlight has been dimming gradually, and I just realized how dark <laughs> my screen is. I, I want to go. I want to go disappear to to turn the light on the side. I don't want to disappear from the you know. So I'm sorry about the darkness. Uh, in, I'm in Portugal, so uh, it's uh, sunset time. <laughs> I did notice like, What's going on? I'm getting so, I'm disappearing. <laughs> I'm disappearing. Uh, can you repeat, Chris, your question? Yeah. Where, where can they find you? Because obviously, you know, people can't see you now since it's so yeah, dark. Where, yeah, where, yeah. Can they, where can they find you on social? So embarrassing. Um, I would love uh, any connection request on LinkedIn. Um, you have my name. Uh, you can you can follow us on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter's, uh, Instagram, Facebook. What all these all these jumbles of names? Uh, virtually um, across all of them. But uh, personal connection request on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with all of you and and chat with you and and uh, be optimistic about the the this crazy intersection of emerging technologies that we're all going through. Well, I appreciate all the talking points. Um, and again, we could probably talk for a number of other hours. This probably won't be the last one. I hope. I hope um, not. Chris. <laughs> back on. We'll have to work on the lighting. And the- yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> on, I will turn on the lights from the very beginning. I started with sunlight. I'm ending with here. I'm like, I'm disappearing. So yeah, he's disappearing. So I think that's the cue of <laughs> it's time to take the live stream off. A nice, a nice arc. Yeah, that's awesome. We, we all timed this. This was all planned. Um, well, Hey, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, and we'll see you guys on the next one. See ya. Thanks so much. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Just want to thank everyone who has done a five-star rating or review. If you enjoy the content, this is a way to get the word out about the Level Up experience, and I really do appreciate it. A couple things, if you want to get connected uh, outside of the podcast, um, we do a live stream on YouTube and LinkedIn. So just search Level Up Experience on YouTube uh, to be a part of the live stream there. We also do LinkedIn Live, as mentioned. Search my name, Chris Reed, C-R-I-S-R-E-E-D, to get notifications on either platform. Thank you all for all the support, and we'll see you on the next episode.